0: Uh, Just remember, it's one of the elders who insisted on having a long lesson. All things are ready. Come to the feast. If you looked at the, the bulletin for the sermon this evening, you found that it is based out of Matthew 22, 1 through 14. We'll be looking at that in a moment. But it's that reminder to us, The feast is ready. It's up to us. But it's more than just up to us. It's how we respond and how we live after we have responded, as the parables will bring out. But the last stanza is what's involved. When we come to this feast, We have to leave every care and worldly strife, to leave the things of the world behind as we make that commitment to serve God, and that's what we get to wrestle with, what was going on in the parable, a little bit if you will, to wrestle with as we deal with God and with human beings. We know from Genesis 1, 1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, We know from Ephesians 1 and verse 4 that God planned man's redemption before the foundation of the world. And that's a key factor to remember. He planned our redemption before he had created the world, which means he had to have known, which he did, but he had to have known what he was asking of us who would desire to be his children. He would have to have known a commitment that would have to be made, that a choice would have to be made of coming to him when that invitation has been extended, but of also recognizing that need to Put on that wedding garment that is mentioned in the parable that the one individual had not done. Had not, he had accepted the invitation, but in essence had then refused to change the life in order to please the one who had invited him to that waiting feast. And that's what gets to come down to us that we get to wrestle with. We may think, well, we're not the ones that need to wrestle with that. But we are. We are human beings and we do have that tendency to need to, to wrestle with doing that which is right. You ever been invited to a social function and missed something in the invitation and shown up Not appropriately dressed for whatever that may have been. It's a little bit embarrassing. And we're reading about the kingdom of heaven and an invitation that comes from the king who is God. And we're reading about the responses that individuals have given to that invitation. You see it down through history as both the parable is used and as you look at the scriptures and see how individuals have responded to this invitation that God gives to those who he has created in his own image, to those who he had planned their redemption, to those who he desires to work with, as they respond to this invitation, expecting that those who do respond will make the change in their life. that there is something that is being asked of us. If we read the parable, you can see that there is nothing that we have done that in essence deserves the invitation that has been extended. And how do we respond when we accept such an invitation that God has given? Come to the feast. But do we really leave every care and worldly strife? Do we understand? God is very much aware Since he created the world, since he's created us, since he set us in this world, that we do live in this world, but not of this world, that there are expectations expected of us, but there is also this greater expectation that he has in trusting this creator, this giver of eternal life, this sustainer of eternal life, there is an expectation that we respond in a positive way. There's another account in Luke 14 where excuses are made about why they cannot come to that feast. I've just purchased some land and I Need to go check it out. Is that a good reason for not serving God? And as the old saying goes, when you're making excuses, one is as good as another. Or I bought five yoke of oxen and I need to go test them. In a lifetime, how long are the oxen going to live? Or I just got married, and you have to excuse me because of that. I can allow the physical things that seem to be necessary within the world in which we live to have a priority over this commitment to God. And by doing such, what am I saying? God, I know you have called me. I know you want me to be your child. I know you want to wash me of my sins and to cleanse me and make me whole. I know you want to give me a home in heaven with you. And I know that, well, I'm not sure that you're going to walk with me as I go through this life. Is that what we're saying? I just don't trust you, God, that as I made this commitment to be your child, that ye will be with me as I am your child, as I walk through this life, and as I learn to make those differentials that are in there. Well, I have to do this. Do I? How is everything subject to change? There may be a few here who can go back to the days of plowing with a a, a yoke of oxen or, or mules. Where does that place in priority today? Well, I have to change it. I've got to go out and test my John Deere tractor. Uh, I need to make sure that the air conditioning works in it, and the satellite GPS works in it, and, and, the, and the satellite radio works in it, so when I'm out there doing the plowing, I'm comfortable. Therefore, God, I cannot serve you. Does that sound reasonable? Does that sound like a reasonable reason? There are excuses. We can come up with a thousand excuses. But is that a reason to give to God as to why the one who planned your redemption before you were born and executed that plan to say, God, I just do not trust you. I have to do this myself. A king has a son who's getting married. And he sends out an invitation to those who have been invited. And a report comes back, they're not coming. He sends out another invitation saying, it's ready, come. Unless we read history, we may not have a full understanding that If you receive a summons from the king under whose rule you are, and if he summons you to come to a feast, that's not an option. That's not an option. And to say, no, too busy, cannot make it. And then you're going to see the king's response to those who refuse twice to accept that invitation. Do we see a correlation with an invitation that God extends to us? The King of kings and the Lord of lords, the master of the universe, has sent out an invitation Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and there you shall find rest for your soul. Come unto me. And we're going to refuse that invitation? Do we not understand the consequence of such a refusal? Not to a king of an earthly kingdom, but to the God above all. I hear you. I know what you've done for me. I know the world that you created that I dwell upon. I know how you worked in my life, but no, I'm not accepting that invitation. And to have it extended again. All things are ready. Come to the feast. No, we will not come. How many times has God extended his invitation? How many countless ways can we consider of what he has done and what he has given? He has given us, in the physical realm, every indication that he is a loving creator. The body that he's given to us, how it functions, how it works, that beautiful reminder to us of the care and the detail that goes into that physical body that we dwell in. How much more so for that spiritual body, which is the church. How much care has gone into it and the members that, are, that, we're, that we're a part of each other, of how we function together, and how we complement each other. I was going to say how we provoke one another, but we do do that. Well, that's out of Hebrews 10.24. I mean, that's what I use. Uh, provoke one another. Well, it says, for love and good works. I just like the first part of provoke one another. Uh, but he says, for love and the good works. Not forsaking, not doing what? Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see that day approaching. It does not say, do not forsake the assembly." It says, do not forsake the assembling of ourselves together. There's something about being together. Hopefully we we recognize that. Hopefully we appreciate that. It's always good to see one another. It's always good to see Jimmy and Nell when they show up. Uh, There's something special to this about being with brothers and sisters in Christ. And it's good to see Bill White. Not always able to get out. And so anytime he shows up, it's a blessing. There's something about this spiritual family. And it's our learning to, to recognize these little bitty functions that we have. But recognizing that as we have these different functions, we're sitting there trying to figure out how it works together. And and I promise you, if you sit down and try to figure out how the individual members of the body work together, you're going to have a time doing that. All I know is that these individual members of this physical body work under the control of the head. And so I know that's true spiritually. How we work together, what it is that your job is, that may seem to be, to you, it may seem insignificant. To another, it may seem insignificant. But in the eyes of God, he has a reason and a purpose behind it, and it means everything to him. know, 1 Corinthians 12 and verse 18. God placed the members in the body just as it pleased him. And then 1 uh, not 1 Corinthians, but Matthew 25 and verse 15. God gave the members the talents, if you will, as we use the term, according to their ability. The beauty of it. God is the one who does the giving. We're the beneficiaries of it. We ought to be the receivers of it with joy. And the joy of being in his family. And how can I let whatever it is in the world take a priority over being with God and his people? God's people have always done that though. Otherwise, Jesus wouldn't be given that parable. So go out in the byways and the highways and compel them to come in. Take those who have nothing to do with the king. There's something special about this invitation. And so they come. And the interesting one as you get down farther is the fact that, as the title says, they were ready, those that were ready went in, but there was one who didn't have the wedding garment on. That simply is the change of life. That is putting on that spiritual body. 2 Corinthians 5, 17, If any man is in Christ, he is a, what? A new creation. All things, excuse me, all things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. We're a new creation. Brethren, I beseech you by the mercies of God to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, that is wholly and acceptable in the eyes of God. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed. By what? The renewing of your mind. The clothing, putting in the right clothes. Have this mind in you that was in Christ Jesus. Have this attitude in you that was in Christ Jesus. And again, the challenge is there. We can look at it and the world says, <laughs> you've got an impasse. You have an impossible task laid before you. To be a godly person in an ungodly world. To have an attitude that you love even your enemies and you pray for those who despitefully use you and persecute you. You want what is best for them. And that's a hard task. No, not really. Because what am, I, what am I asking God to do with me? Am I not asking him to take me as I am? But then to mold me and shape me according to his will? But I, as Paul was saying in Romans 5, 8 through 10, there was a time when I was a sinner. There was a time when I was without strength. There was a time when I was an enemy. And God loved me. That's what we want. All of those that came to the feast were those that society would have deemed to be unacceptable to be at a wedding feast of the king. But those of society who had been invited would not come. So the others would come. There is an invitation that is extended by God at all times, there's gonna come a time when it shall end. And again, just that thought that I remind myself periodically out of James, James 4. What is your life? Is even a vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes away? And you've heard me say before, I shudder when I read that. When I think, again, that in the brevity of a vapor is I that determine my eternal destiny. It's not God. God has already made the provisions. God has already let his will be known. So it's not God. Christ already made the sacrifice. He already died for my sins. It's me. And I will determine. Is it going to be determined on the fact that, listen, excuse me, listen. I prefer to do something physical in the world. And I really do not have time for spirituality. How many times have you heard somebody say that? How many times have you heard somebody who's a child of God say that? I just don't have time to do that. And so I'm walking away. What are we gonna do in that day of reckoning? The indications are already given, whatever the king does is right in the parable and in the application whatever the king of kings does is right he will be fair and he will be just but he will execute his will on those who have chosen not to Paul is writing to the Thessalonians and in the second chapter, in that second letter. Problem with the short books is that they're short. Pass them up in a hurry. But notice what he says there in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. He talks about it there in five, which manifest evidence of the righteous judgment of God, that you may be counted what? Counted worthy of the kingdom of God, for which you also suffer. Since it is a righteous thing with God to repay with tribulation those who trouble you. And to give you who are troubled, rest with us when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels. And you can read the rest of it, but it's just the fact God is going to do what is right. There will be no mistakes. And so that question comes down. The invitation has been extended by God. There have been those who have responded to that invitation. But even in those who have responded, there are those who have not put on the wedding garment, who have not put on that Christian life, have not made that sacrifice. I'm a living sacrifice to God taken off of the Old Testament sacrifices. Those sacrifices in the Old Testament were, were total sacrifices. The whole animal was given, the whole life was given for that sacrifice. And in essence, that's what's being asked of us. It's a living sacrifice. The whole life belongs to God. What I do in work. What I do in play, what I do in my free time, what I watch, what I read, what I pay attention to, what I dwell upon, all of that belongs to God. And as I know from Genesis 1 through Revelation 22, being a child of God has not been Pleasant in the world in which we live, for the most part. The world is opposed to Christianity and godliness, impurity and sacrifice, self denial, and a desire that above all else. All I want to do in this life is to go home and be with my God. God help me. Brothers and sisters, help me. Is that not our concern for one another? Is there not a moment's hesitation that without exception we want to see each and every one in that heavenly abode. That's up to us. What choice will we make? I am resolved. No longer to linger charm of the world's delight no longer charmed by the world. Help my mind, my focus, my love, my commitment to be to the things that are above and to be found pleasing in his sight. Where are you to seek? Is your life where it needs to be? Is there a need to make a change in that life? If there is and if there's any way that we could assist you if we can help you in being right with God so that heaven can be home we bid you to come as together we stand and sing